do turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. It's on page 921 in the church Bibles. And while you're turning there, I'll I'll bring my my greetings as well from All Nations Church Ilford uh, to to you guys at Trinity. It's good to be with you and to share this occasion with you. Uh, I had the privilege of of having, I think I've been in church with Will and Mary for nine years altogether. So I was in York when when they arrived, um, or I arrived a little bit after them, and then they followed us down to Ilford uh, while while Will was training at Oak Hill College. And um, we're we're sorry to see them go, but um, I'm glad, glad to be here. So let's turn Acts 13 and hear God's word. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, So read God's um, holy and perfect word. Do keep that open in front of you. Let's pray for God's help to understand this. Our gracious Father, please open our eyes now by your Holy Spirit to see wonderful things from your word that we might grasp the glory of the gospel and of ministers of the gospel, carrying it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, preaching an ordination sermon is a bit like preaching a wedding sermon, I think. Uh, You don't quite know uh, who you're speaking to. Um, So at weddings, uh, preachers uh, have that sort of decision, don't they? Am I going to speak straight to the happy couple um, and kind of ignore everyone else? And I... I don't know about you, but on my wedding day, I didn't hear a word of anything anyone said on my, my wedding sermon. Um, my mind's racing too much. It's not really the best time to try and teach someone, I think. But um, other times, preachers will preach at visitors who have packed out the church, and, and um, uh, sometimes maybe they might feel a bit got at. So there's that kind of question, and that's a little bit of my, uh, my question this morning. Um, who's my audience? Am I, am I speaking directly to Will now, um, clarifying what, what it is he's about? Um, am I speaking to, to, to guests who've come specially to clarify um, am I speaking to the, the congregation at Trinity Church, Aberdeen? Or, or maybe you've just walked in and you have no idea that there's an ordination this morning. Um, and um, so I, that's my dilemma. I'll, I'll try and kind of cover um, a few different bases. I suspect the vast majority of us here today have under, underestimated what's just happened. And to demonstrate that, let me ask you, did you have breakfast this morning? Uh, did you have your breakfast? Okay. So, so, so if you did, we're already out of sync with, with what happens in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 3, aren't we? Do you notice that? It says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church at Antioch fasted in preparation for ordination. And just in case we think that's a little blip, we can flick over the page to, to chapter 14. And verse 23, uh, Paul and Barnabas, on their way back from, their, from being sent out, we're told that they appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. 
It's a repeated pattern. Ordination is accompanied by, by prayer and fasting. Now, now, why fasting? I think you, you might have had some teaching on this last week or, or recently. Uh, but um, I get really ratty when I haven't eaten. Uh, so, so why would we suppress our natural appetite and, and not eat food? Why would we deny our natural urges and desires of our body for an occasion like this? Fasting altogether in, in a consumer society is odd, isn't it? So dieting, we get, but, but fasting, no. But the logic of fasting is that there are things in our lives that are of more importance than our natural urges. Uh, Fasting says that what is natural is not all there is, that there is something supernatural. And so the church understood uh, the laying on of hands, setting apart someone for ministry as more than than just a nice kind of occasion where you can have uh, some celebrations. It's not just a photo op. Becoming a minister of the gospel isn't like becoming an accountant or being called to the bar. You may remember Paul, I mean, one of his letters in 2 Corinthians, reflects on what it feels like to become a minister. And he said, who is sufficient for these things? It's like he felt like he'd been thrown out of a boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and asked to swim to shore. Just, just overwhelming. And so this fasting is, is because they know they need God for this, for what they're setting him aside for. It tells me that after my baptism and after my marriage and the baptism of my children, my ordination ranks as the most important event in my life. Let me ask it another way. What if today never happened? What if Will just carried on preaching and we just skipped ordination altogether? Would it matter? Would anything be lost is there a before and an after today? You see, verse 3 wasn't a technicality for Barnabas and for Saul. It's interesting, years later, Saul, uh, Paul, reflects on this moment, I think. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, uh, he writes, I was appointed a preacher um, and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles. When was Paul appointed a teacher of the Gentiles? Well, it's here in in Acts 13, verse 3. It's not a a hoop that they jump through. This is more than just a psychological show of support for Paul and Barnabas. This isn't just about, um, today, giving Will a good send-off or creating special memories for him. This action in verse 3 isn't about psychology, but about theology. This is Will's divine appointment as a teacher in Christ's church. And so really what this passage is asking us to do is to put the Holy Spirit back into ordination. I want to look at three uh, dimensions of what's happening in in this verse, verse 3. Firstly, the act of ordination. Secondly, the actors in ordination. And thirdly, the impact of ordination. So let's look at uh, the first part, the the act of ordination. Uh, It's quite straightforward in verse 3, isn't it? They laid their hands on them. Uh, We just saw that happen. 
Uh, they laid their hands on them. Uh, there's no anointing oil. There's not a bishop in sight. They haven't called in the bishop of Rome to, to, to lay hands on him. We don't even have the twelve apostles here at this point. They simply laid their hands on them. Now, this rite or action comes from the Old Testament. Jacob laid his hands on his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to bless them. On another occasion, Moses ceremonially laid his hands on Joshua as a mark of investing Joshua with his authority in Numbers 27. And we can make one of two mistakes, I think, when it comes to this action of laying on hands. On the one hand, we can see it as as empty and kind of irrelevant. That's one mistake. On the other hand, is to treat it like a superstitious ritual, um, a kind of magical thing. And that is also a mistake. But but firstly, it is not empty. There is an unmistakable uh, sense of transfer in the action. So in Deuteronomy 34.9, we're told Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. Today, it isn't an empty shell. It's not a mere technicality. Twice, Paul will point Timothy to, to, to that moment in his life. 2 Timothy 1.6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 1 Timothy 4.14, don't neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So this is not nothing that's just happened. We shouldn't shy away from the language. There are special promises of divine equipping here that come with the laying on of hands. But neither is it magical. It's not a charm. Nothing's automatically conferred. We're not Roman Catholics here today. We don't believe that ordination is a sacrament. And there is no elder in the Church of Christ who has the power to confer the Holy Spirit on others. Um, You may remember earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, Simon, uh, the magician, uh, sees the apostles laying hands on someone and the people receiving the Holy Spirit, and he tries to buy it. He says, you know, how can I do this? And Peter says, that idea comes from the pit of hell. The church does not have the power to confer the Holy Spirit on anybody. And so there's this remarkable simplicity to verse 3, isn't there? It's not that the leaders in Antioch possess superpowers in their hands. No, this act admits a person to the office, but Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit always keep hold of the controls. Maybe a helpful way of reflecting on it is thinking about this from Paul's point of view. Paul, in verse 3, is already called to be an apostle. Christ personally and extraordinarily revealed himself to him on the Damascus Road. He didn't go through a church selection or vetting process. Paul didn't need to receive authority from the church. He is authorised directly by Christ to, to lay the church's foundations. 
Uh, he had visions of Christ. He was taken up to the third heavens. And yet here, even he has hands laid on him. Here he is submitting to his brothers. What a scene. Think how patiently he must have waited for this precise moment. Jesus had told him, I will send you far away from here to the Gentiles. But it hadn't happened until now. It it makes it crystal clear, doesn't it? If if this was necessary for the Apostle Paul, how much more with us? With with Paul's example in verse 3, God is rubber stamping its importance. The laying on of hands is like getting your driver's license. So, so, so why do we have a driver's license? It, it costs uh, lots of money, doesn't it, to take all the lessons, um, over a thousand pounds normally. Uh, wh- why do we do that? Well, it's because we recognise it's, it's dangerous to, to let someone behind the wheel of a car. You can do a lot of damage. Well, you can do more damage in a pulpit than you can behind the wheels of a car. There are people let loose in pulpits who cause spiritual carnage. And so you can think of today like Will's L-plates coming off. This is the official moment that the stabilisers come off. Um, Or you can think of it like Elijah's Elijah's cloak in the Old Testament, the book of uh, Two Kings. You might remember Elijah is whisked away by chariots of fire. And he leaves behind his cloak. It's lying on the floor. Um, And... Elisha picks up this cloak, and here is this mantle, this cloak that that sums up Elijah's ministry, uh, filled with memories of the man, the prophet of God. And Elisha puts it on, and the people say the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And the laying on of hands is like dressing Will up, Uh, but not in Elijah's cloak or Elisha's cloak. Not, not in even the apostle's cloak, but it's like he's been dressed with the cloak of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we're to think the spirit of Christ rests on will to speak to us the words of Christ. So this action of the laying on of hands is to loom in our minds. Don't forget it. Um, in Will's mind, it needs to remember it. In, in your minds as you interact with will... It's clarifying. It tells us who Will is. He's no longer just a a kind of private, nice guy. He's a public servant in Christ's kingdom, authorised by Christ. The Christian minister in the popular imagination is a a jumble of of different characters, characters, aren't they? So um, Father Ted, or Vicar of Dibley. Um, Probably the most famous vicar today is the, the Reverend Richard Coles. Uh, you know, part-time radio DJ, and they're all kind of comic, bumbling kind of characters, aren't they? And none of them um, are presented as ambassadors of, of Christ the King, men under authority. So that's the first thing, um, the act. What's happened today is not magic, but nor is it a technicality. Will has become an officer in Christ's kingdom. Secondly, look at the actors in ordination. The actors... I don't mean actors like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Actors as in the ones carrying out uh, the action of laying on hands. And there are clearly two distinct actors in this passage. Firstly, there is the Holy Spirit. 
isn't it? So look at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. It's a great verse to see the personhood of the Holy Spirit. If you think the Spirit is just a power or a force, it just doesn't work in this verse, does it? That the Holy Spirit is the speaker set apart for me, these guys, for the work to which I have called them. That the Spirit is calling, he is commanding the church, and he is then sending them out in verse 4. See, who, who makes elders in Christ's church? Well, according to Acts, it's the Holy Spirit. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It wasn't a vote of the church that did it. It wasn't the presbytery. It's not an action of men. This isn't a case of kind of jobs for the boys. The, hope, the, the Bible underlines the divine initiative of ordination. The Holy Spirit said that the, the Lord of the harvest is the one who sends forth his workers into the harvest. It starts with the voice of God, not with the voice of men. It starts in heaven, not on earth. So this wasn't Antioch's bright idea to kind of set aside these two guys for the work. They didn't come up with it on a sort of elders' vision day where they had a whiteboard out and were brainstorming for 24 hours. Um, Ordination is is a divine appointment. If it's not, if it doesn't have the backing of the Holy Spirit, then it's null and void. Now now verse 2 describes an immediate um, external call of the Spirit, doesn't it? It probably came through prophets. That's how the Holy Spirit would have spoken. Uh, Now, this isn't um, a working model for how uh, we're going to call ministers today. There haven't been any prophecies in our presbytery uh, telling us to to set aside will. Uh, But instead, we've examined will uh, for his gifts and his graces, his Christian character. And they are that the Holy Spirit's warrant um, and call to office But this principle in verse 2 still stands, doesn't it? And it's very important for us. The Holy Spirit is the true actor in ordination. He's recruited Will. He's made the job offer. The Christian ministry and the Christian minister isn't a human invention. It's of divine origin. When Charles Spurgeon climbed the stairs of his pulpit in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, um, every step he would say, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. If we don't believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, we may as well shut up shop and go home. Uh, This is a waste of time, what we're doing this morning. And to to grasp that the Spirit is the true actor in today's ordination is exciting. Because when the Spirit is at work, stuff happens New creation happens. The blind see. The lame leap. The dead are raised. People become Christians. People bow the knee to King Jesus. So the Spirit is the first actor. The second actor, there's also the church, isn't there? Verse 2 is a command to the church. 
at, at Antioch, specifically to the prophets and the teachers in verse 1, they are the ones who lay hands on Barnabas and Saul and set them apart. They are the ones um, who are acting. Now, this congregation in Antioch is, um, is my favourite church in the book of Acts. Um, I think we're allowed to have favourite churches, aren't we? Uh, Paul loved, loved the Philippian church, and especially. And, and this church in Antioch is, I think, it's, it's the original international Presbyterian church, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's the first church with significant numbers of Gentiles and Jews alongside each other. And the list of leaders in verse 1 is, is, is multicultural. So we've got um, Simeon, who was called Niger, which the footnote says means, means he's probably black. Lucius of Cyrene, uh, from North Africa. We've got Menaean, who, who's in the court of Herod the Tetrarch. He's this high-flying guy with a top job. It, it is a cosmopolitan eldership from a real mix of backgrounds. It's, it's international, but it's also Presbyterian. It's not just a church acting all alone, disconnected from others. Simeon, Lucius and Menaean um, aren't just enthusiastic, fresh-faced uh, converts who are acting independently. No, it's, they're connected to the mother church in Jerusalem. So, so back in chapter uh, 11... Uh, Jerusalem had sent Barnabas to them um, to kind of check them out, and they didn't tell Barnabas to shove off, that they welcomed him, and, and there's that real connection. Um, and then in chapter 15, when there's a dispute, Antioch teams up and meets up with Jerusalem to, to make big decisions. Verse 3 is an act of the one visible church of Christ. Behind Will's ordination today, um, it doesn't stand just a little group called the International Presbyterian Church, but the one visible church of Christ, united down through the ages, looking over Will's shoulder are the faces of that great cloud of witnesses. And, um, and Will, you'll need to remember um, that, that the, the churchly character of what's happened in the days ahead. Uh, the picture here in Antioch is of team ministry, isn't it? So it's there in verse 1. Antioch isn't led by a, a one-man band, but by five prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Saul aren't sent off on their own, but as a pair. And they take John Mark with them in, in verse 5, it turns out. And I don't think John Mark's uh, job was to kind of uh, make the coffee and to carry the bags. That uh, They were training him up. Uh, and it's an important principle in the book of Acts that you, you notice all over the place uh, that there are teams of men ministering. Paul is never alone. There's a lovely verse in Acts 20, verse 4. Uh, Paul is travelling through Macedonia and Luke just mentions who's travelling with him. Um, and he says, uh, Sopater the Berean, um, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, um, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus um, and Trophimus. And, and you count them up and you think, well, Luke was there too, and Paul. That's nine of them travelling around together. Um, and why is it that Paul is constantly travelling around in groups and, and, and togetherness? Well, uh, Paul talks of the daily pressure on me, of my, of my anxiety for all the churches. He talks about conflicts without and fears within. And this bunch of men were his companions. He knew he needed 
uh, for the friendship and the, the team ministry, the, the togetherness of the church. Uh, and ministry can be lonely. Uh, and will you be tempted uh, to isolate yourself? Uh, but, but don't go in alone. Work at, at friendships in the ministry. Independency from the wider church is a killer. And this is, is true not just for, for Will as a minister. It's true for everyone, isn't it, here, if you're a Christian? Uh, the church matters. The church matters. I got a phone call on Friday uh, from a lady who was furious at me. Uh, she shouted down the phone at me. <laughs> um, I'd written her a letter. Uh, she had just disappeared from church and, and wasn't answering anyone's calls. And so I wrote a kind of kind, friendly letter saying, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and she said on the phone, um, I choose where I go to church. What's it got to do with you? She said. What's it got to do with you? I said that a number of times. What's it got to do with you? And, and I wanted to shout back down the phone, everything. Everything. That the church of Jesus Christ links us together to one another. It's got something to do with me. And what's happened today in Will's ordination is the action of the Holy Spirit and it's the action of the glorious body of Christ. Thirdly, uh, the the impact of ordination. Uh, What's the impact of this laying on of hands in verse 3? Well, it marks a major turning point in the book of Acts. At this point, Antioch is the the kind of the, the last outpost um, of the, the church, the most advanced outpost. It's the frontier. Uh, you leave Antioch and you, you head west, and there's nothing. There's nothing but darkness. The darkness of Europe, dark France, dark England, darker Scotland. And verse 3 says, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. But verse 4 says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to, to Cyprus. And the church at Antioch becomes the mothership of mission to, to the nations in the book. Paul's first missionary journey is recorded in chapters 13 and 14. Uh, his second journey in chapters 16 to 18. And this ordination marks a... An, a new chapter, a historic turning point in the church. This is the second time Antioch send something in the book. Back in chapter 11, they send cash to Jerusalem. But now they send something much more valuable. Ministers with the gospel of Jesus. Ministers of the word. The spirit uh, could have sent angels, couldn't he? It would have been much quicker. It would have been more spectacular uh, it, it might have been more reliable in some ways, mightn't it? And we might think, well, why doesn't Christ, by his spirit today, use those means? Why doesn't he speak by Skype? Or, or why not spread the gospel by drone? Or, or produce high-quality videos just for us to watch on, on YouTube? Uh, maybe you're here and you wish that was how Christ had, had planned to work in your life and to, to give you more of the spirit. But that's not how Christ and his spirit work in this world. That the living Lord Jesus has decided by his spirit to send out preachers, to send you preachers, preachers who are flesh and blood, who can look you in the eye, that can eyeball you and can speak the gospel to you. And that is um, 
what is going on here. Uh, That is what Paul goes around doing in the rest of the book. He won't shut up about Jesus. He will go to these different places and he will preach Jesus' cross and his crown. He will speak to the clever and to the clueless about Christ. It will lead to riots. It will lead to revivals. He will get stoned and imprisoned and shipwrecked. But many, many new churches will be formed as new converts are made to Jesus. And that is what Will is called to do. Um, I don't know Scotland very well at all. Uh, But I know enough to know that it it needs turning upside down with the gospel, doesn't it? And uh, maybe this morning you've walked in and and your own life needs turning upside down with the gospel. And you need Jesus in your life uh, to clear up the the, the mess of your sin, to clear up the drugs and the, the porn and the pain that you're experiencing. And that the privilege of, of ministers is in the name of Christ we are sent to you. And I had the privilege of saying to you this morning, in the name of Christ, uh, you can have forgiveness and cleansing. And, and Will has the, the privilege in the name of Christ of doing that. And every minister has that privilege of saying there is the forgiveness of your sins this morning if you will turn from them and bow down to King Jesus as Lord. Jesus Christ will receive you into his kingdom. Uh, Too much of our thinking on mission has got unhooked from the church. It's been said, mission is your doctrine of church with a passport. We we might think uh, that mission, the goal of mission is is what's in verse 12, for example, if you look down. Uh, It says, the proconsul believed... And we say, hallelujah, that, that's what we want. Um, or, or we might think um, it, the goal of mission is, is verse 44, when, when Paul goes to, to another Antioch and we're told that, that the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And again, we think, well, hallelujah, and, and you know, that's what you want, isn't it? In your new building, you want Aberdeen packing in. But that is not the goal of this mission. As Matthew said earlier, if you, if you look at chapter 14, verse 23, It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Jesus Christ's plan is not just to save you this morning and to wash your sins away. He wants elders of the church, ministers of the gospel, to be able to look you in the eye and carry on speaking the gospel into your life. We have no idea uh, what the impact um, of Will's ordination today will be, do we? Someone said, Christ never lights a candle without having lost coins to find. And in the ordination of Will this morning, we have another visible sign that the risen living Lord Jesus continues his plans and intentions to rescue sinners in Aberdeen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray both for Will and for this congregation and for any visitors and guests that we might all see the the wonder that the Lord Jesus by his spirit 
has set apart men for the ministry of the gospel. We thank you for that ministry. And we thank you above all for that gospel. In Christ's name, amen.